welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Morning. Welcome to Oak Hills. Uh, we are continuing on in our Advent uh, series. Uh, we've been calling Behold the Beauty, uh, the word that we are beholding this morning is the concept or the idea of interruption. And so our passage this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So if you would turn there with me in your Bibles, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word as well. Luke writes, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we, we come uh, this morning eager to see and to feel the difference that Jesus' birth makes in our lives. So, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, every narrative genre has its fundamental elements. It has some sort of aspect that is critical to the development of the story within, you know, said genre. Like, you know, a romantic comedy, for example, right? Uh, has the unnecessary, overblown, overreacted to misunderstanding in the middle there that just when everything seemed to be going perfect and the couple was getting, oh, now there's that. The action film. You know, has that moment when, you know, the hero, the plan has, has kind of fallen apart and the hero just has to stand alone before unsurmountable odds to kind of win the day. The superhero movie has that inevitable monologue from the supervillain explaining in excruciating detail the, the, not only the details of the evil plot, but also the justification for it which means that really the evil thing that they were doing isn't evil, but it's actually for the good of humanity, after all. It's no different for the Christmas story genre. Whether it's Santa Claus falling off of Scott Calvin's roof, or Buddy the Elf showing up at his dad's office in the Empire State Building, or the you know cousin Eddie showing up for the Griswold family Christmas and his RV his recreational vehicle. The Bumpus Hounds breaking in and eating Ralphie's family turkey. The Grinch, of course, sneaking in and stealing all of the presents. It's Uncle Billy losing the deposit 
or the ghost of Jacob Marley appearing in Scrooge's living room. All of these scenes represent the same thing to the characters of the story. They all represent an interruption. And the development of the main character, kind of the, the crux of the story, really it's, it's his or her salvation depends on how they respond to that interruption. I mean, think about it. Can you think of a Christmas story that doesn't feature some kind of major interruption? I, really, it's even uh, kind of a cliche in Advent sermon series in churches. Like, a quick search on YouTube will show you that tons of churches, just like ours, are having an interruption theme in their Advent series. And I know what you're thinking, and no, I didn't. Tempted, but I didn't. It's an odd element, I think. That a season whose other cliches are stuff like, you know, peace, and joy, and goodwill, and happy feelings and hope for the future, love, that interruption would be so intimately associated with it. Of course, for those of us familiar with the biblical narratives of the birth of Jesus, the original Christmas stories, well, we know that the theme of interruption, it can be traced back right to the beginning. I mean, Mary and Joseph's betrothal is interrupted by an immaculate conception. The last days of her pregnancy, interrupted by Caesar's demand that everybody get up and go travel to their kind of town of origin. An overflowing guest house is interrupted with a request from a weary couple to somehow squeeze into their stable, essentially into their garage. A shepherd's lazy night watch interrupted by blazing angels with an incredible story. Joseph and Mary's first night with her newborn son interrupted by random shepherds wanting to see the baby. Herod's rule over Judea that he had purchased from the Romans interrupted by the possibility of a king with actual claim to the Jewish throne being born. The Magi's travel plans interrupted by a warning not to go back through Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph's life in Bethlehem with their young son interrupted by a command to take the child to Egypt. Interruption is central to the story of Christmas. Not just because it makes for good comedy or poignant drama in Hollywood, but because it was a foundational element of the original events themselves. So, of course, as we continue our Advent series here at Oak Hills, where we've been seeking to behold the beauty of Advent, the beauty of the birth of Jesus, part of the beauty that we are beholding is the beauty of the interruption of it all. We have a complicated relationship with interruption, don't we? I mean, on the one hand, we long for it. I mean, interruptions are what dreams are made of. When a kid is stuck in the doldrums of algebra class and the teacher interrupts the lesson plan and says, hey kids, today we're watching a movie. 
This is the best day ever. When you're feeling lonely and staring down the prospect of another weekend or holiday by yourself, and out of nowhere you get an invitation from your favorite person. It's the best day ever. When a couple caught in the doldrums of childlessness find their peaceful and orderly serenity interrupted by the arrival of their first child. It's the best day ever. For most of us, our routine is little by little just kind of sucking the life out of us. For most of us, it really isn't another day, another dollar, but kind of more like another day older and deeper in debt. And so the concept, the idea of an interruption, it's awesome. It's a beautiful idea, in theory, at least. And this, of course, is the reality into which the birth of Jesus Happened. The doldrum of first century Jewish life was awful. Day to day life under the oppressive power of the Romans, corruption and, and injustice running the game in every corner. The religious leaders guarding the gate to God and to faith, keeping most people out. That's the way it was. And that's the way it had been for as long as anybody could remember. So the idea that every day was going to be interrupted was great news. It was quite literally glad tidings of great joy. Which is exactly how they received it, right? I mean, the prophets had foretold that the coming of Messiah would be a complete overhaul of life as they knew it. Into the darkness that they were used to, a great light was going to shine. War was ending. Life and joy and peace was becoming available to everyone under a new kind of kingdom. When they heard that it was finally happening, man, they dropped everything. Mary says, may it be to me as you have said. Joseph got up and married Mary, even though she's pregnant with a baby that wasn't his. The shepherds ran down to see if what the angels told them was true. They had been living day after day, hoping, waiting, longing for something, someone to come and please interrupt this day. Interrupt the way things always go. And then it finally happened. And it was beautiful. It's the best day ever. And when you think about it, it's really no different today. I mean, yeah, maybe we have electricity and like antibiotics and stuff. But in general, our routine today is still a doldrum of war and division and concerns about the future, inflation, interest rates, political wars, culture wars, drought. Other environmental doomsday scenarios looming in the future. Our jobs are boring. Our relationships are struggling. Drought. Disaster. Our health is questionable. The people we love are in crisis. As the song we sung earlier says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. That's life as we know it. We have spent many of the last few years pining. And an interruption to that 
That'd be awesome. That'd be great news. The best day ever. Now, of course, not everyone received the interruption of Jesus' birth as tidings of comfort and joy. Actually, to some, they were cause of great distress. Matthew chapter 2 tells us that when King Herod, who was the ruling authority of the region, heard the news, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem, basically meaning all the power players of the area, they were all disturbed with him. And his initial reaction to the interruption of the birth of Jesus was try to stop the interruption. Status quo kept him in this, you know, illusion of power, this illusion of control to which he had grown accustomed. And so he took immediate steps to make it stop. He ordered the execution of any child under two years of age in Bethlehem. Which... We can relate to that as well, can't we? I mean, in a lot of ways, when it comes to interruptions, we hope for them to come along right up to the point where they actually do. Then we react. I mean, maybe not as drastic and as violent a way as Herod did, but, you know, then again, you know, a little bit, we kind of do. We're in a drought-stricken season where the entire state is on fire. Trees are drying up. And if you're in the shower for more than five minutes, you can feel the scowl of the entire San Joaquin Valley saying to you, you know we could be growing food with that water that you're wasting. And yet, when I heard that it was going to rain a couple weeks ago, right on the weekend that we had worked so hard to plan our church Christmas festival, I have to admit, I was a little bit upset. I mean, not enough that I would have, you know, fired anybody or ordered them to be executed. I mean, maybe if it would have helped, but you know, no, like not that much, but a little cross at the interruption to my plan. The interruption to that which I thought I had under my control. And here I'm I'm not trying to equate like the little interruptions of our lives and say, well, you know, rain on Saturday is just like, you know, the earth shattering difference that the birth of the Messiah makes in life. But I bring up the little interruptions of life to point out the effect that power and control have on our reaction to it. Like the difference between the reaction of the shepherds and the folks in Jerusalem in their reaction to the interruption of Advent was that the shepherds were powerless and oppressed, longing, pining for freedom and relief. While the folks in Jerusalem were in power. And they were benefiting from the status quo. They were hoping things stayed just the way they were for as long as possible. And if we take a look at our own hearts, 
at our own reactions to the reality of Advent, to the coming of Jesus, we will find that a similar line, I think, divides our own feelings about the whole thing. The parts of us that feel powerless and oppressed, they love the idea of Jesus, right? They love the idea of Jesus establishing his kingdom in the world, his kingdom in us. That would be great. Best day ever. But then there's the other part. There's that part that has some some thing. Some little kingdom of its own that it's trying to protect. That part of us that's nurturing that addiction, that that habit that we know doesn't jive with Jesus' agenda, but we just kind of want to keep that under our domain. A part of us that delights in holding that grudge, that savors our dislike for that one person, that one kind of person. I mean, in general, we love everyone because we're good people. But there is that one person, that one person we just love to hate. Or maybe it's the part that loves being afraid or angry or hurt. You know, some emotion or perspective that makes us feel powerful, in control. Like, you know, when you're afraid of the future or or even like spinach for that matter. Like there's some power in that, right? I mean, nobody can talk you out of it. People can come to you and say, hey, yeah, I know you're afraid, but great news. A people living in darkness has seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This day in the city of David, Messiah is born. And immediately we hear that and we know that Jesus' birth isn't good news for that fear that we are holding on to. It isn't good news for that addiction that we keep hidden. It isn't good news for that grudge that we desperately want to hold on to. And it's that part of us that reacts like Herod. It's that part of us that would kill to keep the interruption of Jesus from coming and disrupting our little kingdom. And it would seem like we're at a bit of a stalemate here. There's that part of us that feels oppressed, longing for the freedom that Jesus brings on this side. And there's the part of us that feels in control and powerful and stands to lose that control if we let Jesus reign on the other. It's like the the contrast between Herod and the the shepherds. Really kind of like the contrast between the Republicans and the Democrats, right? One party has control of the House. One controls the Senate, which means... Nothing is getting done for the next two years. And it can feel like we're kind of doomed to live our life with this divided heart. Never fully able to live in freedom. Never able to do either what we desire or desire what we do. As Paul describes in Romans chapter 7. But then there is, there is another model. That we have in the Christmas story. 
other than just Herod and the shepherds, other than just those who had everything to lose and those who had everything to gain. It is the model of Mary and Joseph. Because you see, while while it is true that they are firmly in the camp of the poor and the powerless from a societal standpoint, like, you know, they're, they're very much in the shepherd's social strata here. But in this case, Jesus' birth was most definitely infringing on like this little area where they did have some power. Or at least they had some hopes and some dreams. It was very much messing with what they had sort of assumed what their plan for life was going to be. I mean, Jesus' birth was messing with their wedding plans. You know you don't mess with somebody's wedding plans. I mean, how easy would it have been for them to say, can't we just have this? Like, like we don't have very much here. Is it too much to ask that we just have this? But it wasn't. That's not how they reacted. Their reaction to the interruption of Advent was joyous acceptance. Not because it was coming at no cost to them. Not even because what they were holding on to was obviously wrong or or even obviously second best. But because Advent brought with it something that they desired more. Really, the model of Mary and Joseph is the model of faith. It's the model described to us in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is is known uh, as the faith chapter because it gives us this long list of characters from Scripture that the author describes as as having lived by faith. Faith, Hebrews 11.1 tells us, is being confident of what we hope for, assured of what we do not see. And people who live by this concept, uh, Hebrews 11 describes them this way in verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, They were longing for a better country. A better country. A heavenly one. You see, the response of faith is a response that looks at what you think you have in your hand. Whether it's something good and beautiful like like a wedding or a good job that helps you support your family. Or even something not so good, like a destructive habit that you use to control your environment or a relationship that you are obsessing over and idolizing. Faith looks at those things and responds with a willingness to let go because you are longing for a better country, 
for a better world. You have developed a taste for the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. And this decision point, it really is a common occurrence in life. This reaction to the interruption of Advent. We are regularly brought to the point of choosing between what we think we own, what we think we control, what we think we can see, and the promise of something better. Between life as we know it and Advent. And frankly, here is where the little interruptions that we deal with, you know, the kid that comes in to your bedroom too early on a Saturday morning or the unlimited high-speed internet that suddenly decides to return to dial-up days or rain on the day that you wished it to be sunny. This is where our reaction to these little interruptions, it does actually help train us to make room for the interruption of Jesus into our lives. These interruptions offer us a practice field to say yes to possibilities rather than control. To let our desire for something greater drive our reaction and not just cling on to what we're used to that we can see. C.S. Lewis describes this choice perfectly when he wrote, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, ultimately it is faith. Acting, reacting in faith. A conviction that a holiday at the beach is much better than making pies in the slum, even if we have never, ever been to the beach and have no idea what it looks like. It is that conviction that breaks the stalemate between the part of us that feels stuck, pining in the doldrum of sin and error, and the part of us that is enjoying what little sense of control and pleasure that we think we have. Faith that the kingdom that the baby that we celebrate at Christmas brings us is better than this illusion of the kingdom that we have. So much better. It is the difference between mud pies and the beach. The difference between being a foreigner or in a land of your own. The difference between living in darkness and being brought into his glorious light. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? And maybe, as you have been here this morning, the Spirit has pointed out something to you that is reacting in violence to the coming of the Messiah. That part of you that is holding on to status quo. Allow your hearts, the eyes of your hearts, to see 
the beauty of the kingdom that Jesus brings. Allow the beauty that you have already experienced be a witness to the truth of even the beauty that you cannot see yet. Holy Spirit, we are weak of faith. We have things that we are clinging to. And yet, we desperately long for the interruption of the Messiah in our lives. Our day-to-day routine is killing us. We desperately want the life that Jesus brings. Give us, Holy Spirit, the power to choose faith. We pray this in Jesus' name.